H. So true. see, like you make it look so easy. I'm like, oh, buh, 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 buh. <laughs> um, left, right, together. <laughs> nice. I'll probably get it the wrong way around. Um, okay. So um, we are, man, we missed last week. It seems this is how we're rolling these days. Just one week on, one week off. So if you are tracking along in the book that we're looking at, which is, wait for it, Covenant Theology, Biblical, Theological, and Historical Perspectives, um then you will be moving one chapter every two weeks because that's how we've been going but um hopefully that's okay and uh that's that's a schedule that seems to work sort of uh reasonably for us hopefully we can keep that level of regularity for mike. Up. <laughs> what's that for mike yeah for me okay bye yeah yeah i mean we got limits you know i've got limits it's got to it's been locked down I've, I've had to just um enjoy a little bit of that oh yeah for sure you know so but um but we finally come to the new covenant the new covenant in the old testament i felt this guy's pain when um when, when he had to write the essay so who's this essay about let's quickly scroll scroll michael scroll. g mckelvey mckelvey right yes okay yes I, I i felt um i felt you know when i when i had to do a brief little spill like this on the dissertation it was like almost the most overwhelming part of the whole thing because it's just like I mean, to get your head around each prophet, you know, it's just <laughs> difficult. It's mind-blowingly difficult. And to to write something coherent. So um, I appreciated the chapter at that level. Um, we're not even getting into really Hebrews or anything in the New Covenant or New Testament. Um, but we're thinking here about sort of working our way towards the New Testament. I think uh, the next one after this is Covenant in the Gospels. So we're sort of thinking, all right, we've dealt with all the big covenants. Now... At this point, we want to kind of forecast and move with that flow of scripture to see how uh, the next thing on the radar really is the new covenant. And so uh, the big texts that he goes to are in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah, Isaiah, which, um, of course, they are the the, the big major prophets. And and really, um, each one of those books has, wow, I mean, just if you spend any time in Klein, You'll know how he interfaces between Genesis and Isaiah, and you know, just that alone would take a whole so much. And it's so rich; the material is so rich, you know. And and Isaiah has been called the like the it's like the Gospel of Isaiah, <laughs> you know. So it's basically the whole thing is like another part of the New Testament. So there's so much to say. Where do you even start? So um, again, like you know, we're we're not going to approach the thing comprehensively at all, but just using his essay as a, a bit of a starting point for discussion, covering some of the big points. Um, hopefully just we'll give people who are listening to this um, just a way to kind of gradually move forward in the story and, and get their get their thoughts a little bit more in tune with what's coming in the Gospels in the New Testament uh, in light of what's been said already. That's yeah. the big thing. Um, all right. So in general, Nick, what did you think? Um, I mean, I think one, what he tried to do is he tried to develop the idea that all the covenants that have come before um, sort of prepare and point forward to and climax in the new covenant. And so what he does, he paints a picture of continuity, which I think we have a basic agreement with, but the way that he paints that continuity, because he's a pedo Baptist, we have a basic disagreement with. 
Right. So right. We, we, we like the way he approaches the Bible. We like the way in which he's, you know, taking the storyline of the Bible forward. We like the way in which, you know, the new covenant is definitely building on and referencing, you know, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the Mosaic covenant. And it's, uh, you know, it's gathering all of those thoughts and bringing them to a grand climax. Yeah. But um, I think just the way in which he pushes the continuity forward um, <clears throat> as he brings it into the new covenant itself, I think being Baptist and in, engage, uh, interacting with them uh, and their Peter baptism, they would charge us with an over-realized eschatology. Mm. And we would charge them with not orienting it towards the eschaton. Yeah. Now, on, the, on that point, um, it'd be interesting to talk to you about it. I think we must have talked about it in the past, but, but just um, probably I have a slight nuance or, you know, I think some of the stuff that is said about the Baptist position is perhaps a little bit guilty of overrealized, or at least uh, some, some of the stuff that is uh, uh, advocated by the Baptist position is a little bit guilty of, of a kind of overrealized eschatology. And I think they bring some good points to level that out. And so as Baptists, definitely that's where you feel the crunch, but that's, you know, and so do they, I think. But but that's where we all have to be really careful and and make sure that we're wording this thing well. So I think I felt like I could actually read through a lot of what he was saying and probably disagree with a lot less than he would have thought as a Baptist, I would disagree with him, you know, but, but let's, let's say that let's kind of move our way through the essay and um, we'll kind of get there when we get there. That's in Jeremiah. I'm thinking mostly right. Jeremiah 31 is where that really comes to bear. And he brings that in uh, into yeah. play. Uh, <clears throat> so one of the things he, um, I mean, he opens up saying that the major prophets in particular contain most of the content on the new covenant and they take center stage in the section. He does say the minor prophets are not silent and they're not. I mean, there's a lot going on in the minor prophets too. Um, but it's just that you've got so much, so much material in the major prophets and, you know, it's such a sweeping, uh, just, man, I don't even know. It's just such a massive quantity of like in-depth, detailed um engagement with the old testament as it looks forward to the new so it really is is the place to major on um yeah. and he says the goal of the chapter is really to show that the new covenant is the central concern of prophetic literature so i think with that as a broad statement uh, you know 100 i would agree with that um the idea is you know certainly as you bridge into you know post exile and um and as the the return remnant are thinking about about what what you know all the covenant promise, promises mean. Um, these prophecies, I realize some of them are prior to exile, but you know together, this, the, and certainly when you bring the minor prophets into view, there's this unified message. You know, God is going to look. It is now proven that you haven't got any hope, any hope of self righteousness or righteousness mm -hmm. as a nation. You've got nothing now. You know, it's almost like they really just drive that point home. And therefore, what must come is just full-scale judgment. Uh, you've experienced that now in part with this, um, with this exile. Um, the glory has departed from the temple, you know, all of these things. And yet, it's all just, you realize at that point, just a foil for what, what, what actually the promise to Abraham, the promise to David has always been about. And uh, they just use it as this idiom through which to, to speak about what is to come. So it really is like, you know, any, it's not about social justice or, um, you know, wh whatever else they've made the major prophets about, it's about the new covenant and about, about the gospel. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it really does capture, 
you know, the necessity of the new covenant just underlines again the fact that, you know, there was that republication of the covenant of works in the Mosaic economy. Israel was put in this, this typological type of covenant that by their works, they could obtain blessing or not. And they failed and failed and failed. Their kings failed yep. and they brought upon themselves only curse. And yep. so, yes, the necessity of a time when God would come in and there's that real, that real note of sovereignty where I will do this and I'll yep. put my spirit within you and I will yep. cause you to walk in my ways. Yep. And it really just takes salvation out of our hands and God takes it upon himself. And that, that really is a big note that is struck in the new covenant. Yeah. Like now that you realize that like Adam, you have transgressed the covenant. Now that you realize that you are really just like Adam, having been kicked out of Eden, you're there. You are. You're you're at the bottom of the mountain, unable to ever get back. You know, you you can't go back to the glory of Israel. You can't do it. It's you now existentially, as well as theologically, as well as you know civilly, realize that that you just can't do it. And so now let me show you what I will do, you know, yes. in light of those promises I made to your forefathers. So that that's kind of the the overarching um, thrust of the the the, um, the the prophecies in general. There, so very very, you know, very powerful. I recently preached through um, all of the books of the all the prophets, you know, just just um, as an overview. And you know, I'd done it before, but I just I was struck again, you know, how rich really for a person. For a Christian, you know, this is our Bible. You know, it, it really, it's like everything that you can imagine in the New Testament Christians um, before the rest of the books had been given or, or sort of in that when they've just got their Old Testament. You can imagine them really dwelling on those uh, prophecies and promises because yeah. just, you know, there you are just, just seeing this promise and now it has come in Jesus and just feeling the fulfillment of that. You can imagine how powerful that would be. So I think sometimes we... We rob ourselves by not knowing these prophecies better and uh, the prophets uh, at large better. But then certainly when it comes to understanding the flow of history and, and uh, redemptive history and the the, the tale of, of, of the covenants and so forth, um, we got, we have to know these big, these big texts. So uh, he starts with Jeremiah, um, the book of consolation, um, again, just capturing and boiling it down, if I read him correctly, he's saying, and I think rightly so, that Jeremiah 31 becomes almost a microcosm of the book. Uh, the whole book is essentially developing what Jeremiah 31 kind of hones in on as it focuses on what God would do in the new covenant, much to, much to uh, the extension of what we've just been saying now. Um, the day all throughout, the days are coming, declares the Lord. The days are coming. The days are coming. That's the, the full that's the way the context of the book is shaped. It gives you all sorts of literary um, uh, devices used by the author to kind of uh, clue you in. There's a inclusio there with David being a center point of the and focal point of 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 what you know God would do. He'll raise up another Davidic king. Yeah. Um, and again, a very very powerful point that I think we've covered in the Davidic covenant enough to to kind of leave alone now. But it really is just I can't. I'm preaching through Hebrews and I'm seeing and I've just preached through Psalms. And I'm seeing, wow, David is just so, <laughs> like, all important in the whole thing. It's crazy. Um, but then then one of the things he makes, he, the, one of the great points to, to really major in on as we just talk around this, and this will bring us to the baptism issue, is um, the way that of all the covenants, you got the Noahic, Abrahamic, Davidic covenant, and they, they're all permanent. They're all part of this ongoing covenant of grace. 
the only one that's temporary there is the mosaic, which is the big point of contrast there, the thing that they've just come through, the republication of, of work. So in that sense, everything you said there, I think, was very much aligned with, with Klein and, you know, the kind of, uh, I don't know if you picked up anything different. I think it was basically a... Yep. Uh, just a, a sound sort of uh, process. It wasn't like beating the drum of republication, but he was just assuming uh, many many of those truths and um, and 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 seeing them come to bear on that um, Jeremiah thirty one passage. Um, and uh, then we come into the big the big chapter itself. You know, so he's got another thing that I thought was helpful was the way he does talk. Uh, what what do we call this? Um, there, prophetic foreshortening. There is a, the near and far element constantly, you know, you see this in all the prophets. So anyone thinking about the prophets needs to be aware of that, that the prophets are just speaking about one big end that are, is going to happen. And this is what God's going to do. And they're, they're not necessarily dividing the mountain ranges up. They're just seeing one massive mountain range at the end. And it's all being foreshortened to, 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 to be spoken of as this thing that's going to happen in the future. Hmm. Um, and it, and that is wise to keep in mind in light of what we'll talk about in a second, when we come to Jeremiah 31, which is all about this whole, um, uh, God will, uh, make a covenant, not like the old covenant. You'll write their laws uh, on the heart. So let's let's uh, talk a little bit through that one. Any um any any good points you thought he made you in terms of Jeremiah thirty one? Um, I think what I just appreciated was uh, how he just drew together. You know, he drew on the promises with regards to David. He drew on the promises with regards to the law. He drew on the promises with regards to Abraham. I appreciated how he. In, in showing uh, in the way in which God was was forecasting that ideal future, he was speaking in terms of all of the covenants that had been spoken of in the past mm. and sort of grouping them all together, just really rooting it in scripture. And I, I just really appreciate that unity. Yeah. Um, having come out of a dispensational background where you're chopping and changing and you, you've got all these things that just don't connect with each other. Yeah. Um, just pulling it together in that way. Yep, I just really appreciate that way of reading the Bible. So yep, yep, that's a, a, atypical being a Baptist, but but yep. yeah, I appreciate yep. it. Yeah, amen. One of the things that I think um, he, he does well here is, although I think this is kind of where you get into the weeds on this stuff. Sorry, uh, I got some notifications bouncing around here. Uh, let me just quickly fix those so they don't uh, interrupt you. Um, one of the things that he does is that he talks about this thing that God's going to do, the, the, the central nature of the promise, which is that he's going to internalize the law. You know, and I know that just from my discussions with people, that, that you know, whether it's on a more Presbyterian front or whether it's a Reform front or whether it's a Baptist front, you've got, you know, typically people struggle with that in, the, in that they're like, okay, well, wait a minute, you know, it isn't, isn't to have the law you know, aren't we saying that the law was always written on the heart and what's the big deal about this? And, you know, what's, what's happening there exactly? Um, what's happening there that hasn't happened already in the old Testament, certainly, uh, what, what's going on? What's the new part of the new covenant? And, and that I think is actually a really important question. And that probably is what ultimately makes me Baptist, uh, to trying to figure out how this is then quoted in Hebrews and, and, um, and what exactly is new about this. Because we know from um, from Adam and the fall, and every fallen man has the law written on their heart. Uh, Adam had the law written on his heart, summarily contained in the Ten Commandments. Um, you know that was later republished at Sinai. But this is the same law. That's that's the, that's the conscience. That's right or wrong. You know that's um, 
that's already there you know um so the there's something about that 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 we can't say hasn't yet happened um and then even with with israel or any anyone uh, of the believing community from the days of you know the earliest point uh what we would say is that regeneration not not only in the new covenant but really all throughout redemptive history has always taken that which has already been on their heart but has freshened it so to speak has um regrafted it it's 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 not a different law it's it's the same law it's the same moral law contained yeah. summarily contained in the ten commandments but it's been freshened it's been brought to uh, to um be been made more explicit where it's been seared uh where the conscience has been numbed or glossed over it's it's no no longer able to do that and, and man is almost taken back to that to that garden-like reality where he was so conscious of 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 that law that's part of what it means to be born again and that uh, to be to have the to be regenerate and, and that is not only a new covenant reality um mm. so there's that right now with those in play though you get to this prophecy and it's kind of like he's saying well there's this <laughs> this is coming this time where where god's going to do that and and you, you're sort of left wondering well you know what <laughs> um <laughs> and especially if you've majored on reformed theology maybe if you've got like a dispensational thing going you, you're um you're going okay well you know no one was saved by yeah. the spirit in the old testament or something like that yeah. um yeah yeah everyone had the spirit that could be taken away but they didn't have the spirit within you know they've got some sort of non-reformed way of dealing with that like a non-minion way or something like that yeah. but you know we're assuming the basic reform framework here so we're getting like yeah. what exactly is new about this so people then, were regenerate yeah they were in the image of God, that that image was being strengthened by the Holy Spirit in an Old Testament salvation experience. Yeah. So what is the new covenant promising that goes beyond that, which they didn't already have? Now, with, with, that, with that point in mind, right, let me just read what he says here, and this will kind of dig it in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, he says, notably, Yahweh will put his law within his people. So you see how he's, he's going from this, this external, the law was in Israel. Uh, yes. There was the giving of the external tablet of stone, certainly. Uh, there was, you know, the external codified law amidst the people revealed. And that was, that's different from what people had before that happened, because although it might have been written on their heart in some, even even in a regenerate sense, yeah. they, they weren't able to see it as clearly and 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 perceive it with such, you know, clarity as they, they were once it was delivered, even externally in Israel, then you could sort of match what was going on in your heart, even as someone regenerate with, with what was going on externally. And you could say, okay, well, this is indeed what is happening. So there, there was that, that was new in, in, in Israel, but he's saying that that externality is going to be entirely internal at this point now this is everyone listening in on this needs to listen carefully because this is the very point that makes me a baptist <laughs> right here he says the law written on the heart is at least in some way the moral law that was not codified until the mosaic covenant so jeremiah 31 33 shows that through the new covenant administration the moral law summarized in the ten commandments is internalized indicating that god will conform his people to his law um, and in doing this, God says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, if you just leave it at that, there's something entirely unsatisfactory about that point, right? Because, I mean, you know, you really haven't answered the question like, well, what? I mean, it, it was, was internalized that, before. How is that different? Yeah. yeah, it was internalized before. The only thing, I mean, it was internalized before the giving of the law, then the 
giving it a law came and then there was a, a people who were commanded to internalize that law and you know many did and uh you know so the only thing you can say about the newness of the new covenant is that now it's not only that there will be, it'll be internal but that it will only be internal and there will be no legitimate participation of this covenant if it is external whereas there was a legitimate participation when it was just external in israel you know you could you could um uh, whether you had not yet come to faith or whether you were never going to come to faith in Israel, there you are, a, a legitimate part of Israel, being keeping some sort of civil righteousness according to the external law. Uh, that was entirely possible, and you still were legitimately a part of that covenant and people and land and so forth. Yeah. Whereas now what's coming, you know, and that covenant could be broken and so forth, but now this new covenant's coming where the thing that changes is not only that it's internal, but that there's no external dimension whatsoever in that uh, or, well let me rephrase it there is an external obviously we still got the bible but but there is no legitimate part, partaking of this at only the external level you can't you can't be uh part of the new covenant community according to this if you are not you have not had this internalized as well as have access to the external god uh, strips away sense. the external and it's all about circumcision of the heart yeah, yeah. now you know, I think I think that for me that just really, I mean, we, we haven't quite got to the overrealized eschatology stuff, but yeah. but I think that just that point on on its own needs to just sink yeah. in a little bit, and because it's such a big point, I mean, that's like you got to reconcile that one way or another. You can't just gloss over that. You've got to be able to say. So what what we're saying is at that point, when they try and account for that benefit of the new covenant, they make a distinction without a difference. I think so. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, exactly right. Um, you know, and it gets worsened, I think, when you dependent on your level of reformed theology. So there's some versions of the, uh, reformed theology where, you know, it gets so flattened out that, you know, you really, you feel that, that, that there is really no difference at all. It's just, it's just. Do you think uh, they may answer to this extent, you know, well, maybe like um, in the Old Testament, let's say 25% of all children got regenerated. Yeah. So because it's an already not yet scenario, we'll make it 75%. Right. So we have the a higher rate yeah. of expectation of regeneration. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Maybe I mean, that's the way they would go. I think that's probably the... So, the, so, so they were just keeping it on a, you know, on a spectrum as opposed to a sort of new type of chapter. Right. And you see that applied like, so how does the filling of the Spirit work? Well, it's not that you didn't, you weren't filled with the Spirit in the Old Testament, you just filled with more Spirit in, in the new. Yeah. Uh, you didn't have... Because they would as, say that the, the, the new heavens and the new earth is the 100% mark. Yeah, where exactly. everyone everyone has it, so we're not there yet. So it must just be a lower percentage. Yeah, yeah, but but it's higher than the Old Testament percentage. Totally. Like uh, maybe that's how they would. Right now, yeah. that's at least an answer. You got to give it to them. I mean, that's a, a <laughs> an answer. That I'm that is already. For them. I don't know if anyone answers well, that way. I was going to say yeah. now it's already more than he said in the essay. So you know yeah. that that's uh, worth pointing out. But at least that's a way, uh, you know, at least appreciate that point because it's someone's recognizing the problem and has you know they they would have to account for it. So I've read a few people that would say things to that effect. Um, as a, you know, this is how we account for the differences. It's just greater. It's a greater sort of, you know, yeah. everything's sort of on a sort of seventy five percent versus forty five percent or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> But here's my problem with that. It's not what it's saying in Jeremiah. He's not yeah. in any way indicating that. It's not a percent thing. It's not a continuum thing. It's just a, Each okay, this is what's going to happen. Know me. Yeah. yeah. But that, I suppose, um, precipitates the the um, the overrealized eschatology comment where he's going, well, if you say it's like we're all, 
you know, internalizing the law and no one has to teach anyone. And, you know, I mean, surely we, we register at some point that that hasn't yet happened in terms of our experience in churches and, and uh, you know. Yeah, I, I noticed that he, I mean, just yes and no. So, I mean, at that point, I wanted to say, but you didn't, you didn't quote 1 John 1 verse 19 and 20, where John says to the, the church that he's writing to, you have an anointing that no man need teach you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So each one of us has an anointing, and that's in reference to having the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So no yeah. man need teach you. And what he means by that is the, there is the spirit taught ability to discern between truth and error. Well, even so just at that like level, every Christian is equipped that that we don't need to be taught at least for that purpose yeah because if you think about what john was saying there was in light of the gnostics that all the proto-gnostics anyway they were coming along and 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 basically trying to jesus came in the flesh and just trying to get them onto some sort of higher spiritual plan via some hidden truth and whatnot and um and, and he's saying no no listen if you've got these basics in place you you've got the basics in place you don't have to be taught at some to to be to hit the higher christian life so to speak you know you've got everything you need in the gospel to really do everything that that, that to hit the highest plane of spirituality uh, that that uh is possible in that sense and in that in that regard i think it is relevant because really that's what jeremiah is he has that in view you know he has what kind of spirituality will hap- will, will uh, materialize as a result of this new covenant? Well, yeah. it'll be you walking with God and no one will have to give you an extra bit of info, you know, about exactly. what, what is required concerning I mean, that point. If, if, if I can dig deep into Baptist uh, theology at this point, you know, in the Old Testament, here's, here's one of the key differences between, I guess, a Peter Baptist view of, of, of the New Testament and a Baptist view of the New Testament is when we look at the role of prophet, priest, and king, when we look at the role of the Holy Spirit, we recognize that in the Old Testament, um, not everyone in Israel was a prophet, a priest, and a king, but there were prophets, priests, and kings amongst them, but not everyone was a prophet. So not everyone was taught. But in, in, in terms of the new covenant, and this is something that Peter quoted on the, on, on, the, on the day of Pentecost, that your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And so we're into this new stage where every single Christian has the Holy Spirit, where every single Christian is a royal priesthood, where every single Christian um, has um, that, that deeper experience where in the Old Testament, it was only representatives that had it. And um, and I think you know even when and 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 I'm I'm grateful to people like O Palmer Robertson that are, that are willing to say that every Christian is a prophet, priest, and king with a small PPK, um, you know. Yet he's not working that through consistently um, in the way in which he reads the New Covenant. So yeah, yeah. totally. Now, now just uh, maybe pushing that a bit further. Um, well, let me actually read. I've, I've got it highlighted right here. Let me read it. Uh, it, it is also important to note, he says, uh, as the central summarization of the new covenant in Jeremiah 30 to 33, that this passage presents the eschatological outcome of the new uh, of the covenant, this covenant. Jeremiah 31, 34 portrays this finalized realization of redemption. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me for the least of them. To the greatest declares the lord um for i will forgive their iniquity i will remember their sin no more this first uh, th- this verse must not be interpreted in an overrealized manner in the present day in light of christ's inauguration of the new covenant uh, believers do indeed have the law written on their hearts they know the lord 
and the sins are forgiven, but there is still the need within the covenant community, uh, community today and outside it to teach one's neighbor, to exhort one's brother to know the Lord. So, go, okay, go for it. See I write to you children because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Mm. So when I, when I hear that, you know, I hear inaugurated, not consummated, but the reality is present. Mm-hmm. And the New Testament recognizes that over and over again. So, yeah. Yeah. So, look, I mean, it's uncomfortable because, you know, what he's saying here is like, hey, everything about what you're reading there has obviously happened already. He's admitting it to some degree. I mean, he's, you know, he's saying, listen, we are forgiven of our sins. We do have a new heart. We, you know, this is we all true. We do know the Lord. Yeah, we do yeah. know the Lord. So it's just like this one little stickler point is that, you know, we don't teach our neighbor and stuff like that. So, so you could see it's almost like an agenda driving that at that point. You can't help but feel that way. But it is also true. Let's just give it its, its most charitable sort of weight, I suppose, in that, uh, you know, as you look at a church today, uh, we see, for example, the office of teacher, you know, needed in the church. Um, and so there is some element of teaching and there is a, a need to be instructed. And there is a, certainly there is a difference between how we, what we know right now and how we feel now and what, what we need to be taught about now, uh, if we compare it to what we imagine and what we are pretty sure heaven will be like, you know, where we will not need those things in the same way. And we'll yeah. probably will st- still need to learn and be taught and stuff like that. But it's, um, you know, it'll, it'll be th- without a doubt, there'll be a marked difference. So no one's denying that point. So here's what I, here's where I come at, at the whole thing. I say, well, let's just go ahead and give that point. It's full weight. Let's say, all right, fine. This is talking about the, the, the consummation of, of the new covenant. Um, that wouldn't be out of sync with everything that's going on. As we mentioned before, prophetic foreshortening, that it is true that, you know, the whole package deal is looked at from the prophetic perspective. So let's just give it its, its full point. So let's say that when we're reading about Jeremiah 31, we're reading about, you know, we've got three sort of phases in the new covenant, the inauguration, the con- commencement and the consummation. Let's say we're just reading about the whole thing together with the, with the consummation in, in view at the end. And we're thinking here about heaven, right? Everyone is saved. No one needs to worry about it. Everyone just knows the Lord and walks with the Lord. And, and I imagine everyone will agree that that's what, that's what the new creation will be like. Then the question is simply this. We come to the inauguration, because again, no one denies that it's been inaugurated at this point. Yeah. As, we, as we think about the way we administer the new covenant, shall we model it off of New Jerusalem or <laughs> shall we model it off of old Jerusalem, exactly. you know, so <laughs> that's really, I think there is enough in this text to go, well, your whole, even if you're going to have all these imperfections and whatnot, you still have to administer it as best you can, according to the model of its consummate end, you know, yeah. I mean, certainly it doesn't feel right to go ahead and model it after the thing that is specifically said to be no more in contrast to this, you know, uh, it feels weird to be, to look at this, um, look at this passage and then go, all right, I'm going to model it off of the old covenant. You know, I'm going to model the church off of the old covenant in light of this new covenant prophecy. It just feels yeah. completely out of sync. And I know some people will say, well, we're not, we're not modeling it off of uh, the, the Mosaic covenant as much as the Abrahamic before that, um, which was a covenant of grace. And I think that's a, that's a good thing to say. And it's helpful because it keeps you out of theonomy and all that yeah. stuff. But um, 
but even so, you know, there, there is a, there was part of the Abrahamic situation there that, as we've spoken about before, that, you know, was leading towards the Mosaic covenant that it was typological. And, and um, it seems that that best fits with what was fully expressed in the Mosaic covenant, rather than something that we need to go back and, and, and remodel now in a new covenant situation. Yeah. So, I mean, so yeah. yeah, he, so after Jeremiah 31 and maybe just coming to the matter of Peter baptism, he moves into Jeremiah 32. Yeah. And I guess it's at this point where he wants to apply the genealogical, uh, genealogical principle. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I've heard this actually referenced uh, in discussion with other Peter Baptists is they basically <laughs> say, look, you Baptists can have Jeremiah 31. Yeah. You need to get beyond Jeremiah 31. You need to get into Jeremiah 32, you know, because Jeremiah 32, verse 39 to 41 reads this. So here's the new covenant again. And the genealogical principle is, is yeah. referenced as being part of the new covenant. Mm -hmm. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. Mm. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. So the question, so what they basically push back at the Baptists is saying, and, and whether it's Richard Pratt helping his daughter, who's in a Baptist church. Do you remember? Did you read that? I think I did. Yeah. I remember that yeah. back in the day yeah. um, or, or whether it's this guy now, or whether it's uh, our discussion with our Peter Baptist brothers today, <clears throat> you know, what, what they do is they say, you see, you see, see the way in which the new covenant is framed. It's, it, it, it's, it's framed in terms of generations. Therefore, it's it's hanging. It's 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 showing us that although aspects of the mosaic fall away, that, that the Abrahamic continues. Mm. And so, I guess you know, I want to recognize that. I want to say mm. that I've heard that. I want to say mm -hmm. I know all about that, and I want to say that I see that language in the text. Mm. And so, as a Baptist, how do I want to respond to that? Mm -hmm. And 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 I guess what I would want to say is, it sounds like you want your cake and you want to eat it, because if you're saying that it's all about the eschaton. Are you saying that there are children and grandchildren that are part of the covenant in the eschaton? Yeah. Or is this prophetic idiom where a perfect future is being shaped on? So if you what, what the realities what are, of the present, yeah, yeah the reality is present, but 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 the promises are in terms of the Abrahamic covenant. What are the three main? Yeah, things? right. Yeah, yeah. Offspring. Yeah. Blessing. Yeah. You know, it's land. So that's so, a great so, point. So that yeah. there is a perfect future that yeah. is cast in light of the shape of the promises given in the Abraham covenant, and even in terms of the Mosaic covenant. So I, I, I'm very happy to always, always find a genealogical principle in all the promises of the Old Testament. Right. Right. Because yeah. of prophetic idiom. Yeah. But if this is if this is actually talking about the eschaton, and we as Baptists have overrealized our eschatology, we need to return the question to them and ask: Do you believe that you're going to have children in heaven? Because that's what you're making this verse say. Yeah. If yeah. you're going to make the genealogical principle fly all the way through um, the way in which they're reading these promises, yeah. so so that's yeah. that's that that would be my pushback at that point. Yeah, that's great. And again, that folds in well with what we were saying earlier, and then. You know, you, you could be as charitable as you, as you need to be on, on a point like this and go, okay, you know, awesome. There it is. 
let's say we can agree it's the consummation ultimately in view but then as we think about the issue of administration we have to ask the question of how the church should what it's looking towards as it's as it's uh, administering itself what ideal is in view um, are we intentionally modeling ourselves of old covenant israel or new covenant eschatological realities i would say everything in the new testament leads us to to think in terms of already not yet right everyone who agrees with already not yet including most uh, Peter Baptist uh, brothers I know will will feel the weight of that because they they agree you know the whole thing is attention so so yeah. sure I mean like we're not there yet everyone everyone gets that but we're living in this tension and striving towards that ideal and acknowledging our, our failures but we're not modeling the ideal of anything less than that and then even where where the I think a good point and a comeback uh, is brought to the table in that we're not we're not asking for a return to the Mosaic covenant. We're asking for a return to the Abrahamic covenant. Um, then everything you've just said comes directly into view because, you know, yeah. they were just saying, how how have the prophecies been shaped? They've all been using prophetic idiom, a consistent way to approach every single part of prophecies. If you're not dispensational, you know, yeah. is that you would basically say, um, you know, it's all, it's all, it's all prophetic idiom, the mountain, the, the land, the nations. Well, the land, but I mean, it's, just think about the nature of the new covenant promises. You know, I will bring my people back to Judah. I will bring I totally... my people, talking about ethnic Jews, back to this place. And so, you know, we know that our reformed Peter Baptist brothers are not dispensationalists. They're not mm, going to, mm. they're not going to take the Israel, Jerusalem centered, temple centered, um, language and no. and say that that's 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 all eschatological and yeah. point forward to a millennium yeah um they have they have a they have a hermeneutic a prophetic idiom but they're not applying it consistently to yeah. the genealogical principle exactly and that's what we're really calling for we're just saying whether you want to take it back to the mosaic or or um or abrahamic um in light of the whole sort of tenor of everything and the in the consistent idiomatic uh, use of prophecy or, or the way it, it, it goes about painting that eschatological reality. We're just asking for a little bit of consistency on this point. Um, so I'm hoping that anyone that, you know, uh, kind of years this will go, okay, well, you know, I can still keep my, this is consummate reality um, rather than something now only, you know, which I think I can see how someone would really get stuck on that. Um, and yet at the same time have to wrestle with some new stuff there. Um, so it's not, it's not quite the arrogant slam dunk. Hopefully that people will, will be hearing if they're, um, you know, and this was me back, back in the day, I'd be like, Oh, it says, it says, you know, we'll know the Lord. Therefore, you know, end of story, baptize your kids. I realize there's more complexity to it. And I think the dialogue with, with Presbyterians have been, has been great. And, uh, you mentioned Richard Pratt. I thought his article was excellent. In fact, maybe even the best, um, that I've ever read. On um, on how to deal with with Jeremiah thirty one as I think he wrote in that book by Strawbridge it was published by Strawbridge uh, I remember a case for pedobaptism or something like that um, where he made this case and I thought it was excellent you know and I thought okay you know what you've actually almost won me over onto the idea of I have not yet considered the full weight of the uh, of already, the way in which this all all happens in the already not not yet but then but then it just sort of it just double reinforced everything i was thinking anyway because of the already not yet precisely you know so i i would really have to deny the already not yet angle to be yeah. anything but baptist you know and, and i'm not i'm not i'm not taking on overrealized eschatology when i do that i'm just taking on eschatology that's all that's happening there and we and we have the same approach to the to the Sabbath, don't we? very much so 
Yeah. And the reason we move from a Saturday Sabbath to a Sunday Sabbath is because the orientation is not looking back to the creation week, but to the new creation. Oh man, the uh, the um the eighth day, you know. Amen. <laughs> let's, let's not get started on the eighth day. Uh, oh man, there's so much this there's so much inclined on that issue as well. It's just like mind-boggling. But yeah, it's just really trying to bring in a bit of consistency on those points. Um, so anyway, there we go. So um, he, he quotes Gentry as the Baptist. Now, we've mentioned uh, Peter Gentry before. And, um, you know, I think Gentry is wrong in the way that he dismisses yeah, covenant theology. He wouldn't be theology. representative of a Pliny and Baptist position. Sure. I mean, like, and he might, he might actually be quite... I mean, he might be a good representative of maybe a progressive dispensationalist or something like that, or, or, or someone in that sort of non-covenantal, um, uh, of that non-covenantal ilk. But, but, um, but yeah, no, I think we're, we're in agreement that, that Gentry has, he's just, it's that, it's almost like MacArthur, you know, arguing against this and going, well, you know, it says, baptizo, <laughs> which means dunk. So, dunk. Don't, you know, and there's more, there's more to it than that, you know, or, or like, Hey, this was for Israel. We're talking about the church. You know, there, we, there's more to it. We, we recognize there's, there's a lot of validity in what's being brought up. You know, all of that stuff we totally agree on. Amen. So powerful, so devotional. Um, and and uh, let's just quickly read this really good conclusion just to kind of do his essay some justice here and, and, and uh, uh, have people just explain be exposed to some of it. He says, with the coming of Jesus Christ, however, the new covenant has been inaugurated. Redemption has been procured and restoration has begun, uh, begun first spiritually and in the last day materially. We who live on this side of the cross are blessed to live in the time of the new covenant because we've received its benefits now and await its consummation when Christ returns. So there's the already not yet, right? We have seen the Messianic King come in his father's glory and inaugurate God's kingdom. We now see the spirit of God extending that kingdom as the church of Christ is built up throughout the generations. We also know the restoring, resurrecting power of God in the new birth. And we look forward to the fullness of God's everlasting presence in the new creation. We who know the grace of God in Christ by means of the new covenant are eternally blessed and we can rejoice in all God's covenantal workings because they are the means by which God is our God and we are his people. So really a fantastic summary of the culminating sort of idea here in the new covenant. And uh, I think, you know, you see what I love about that is like, despite all the talk about baptism or blah, blah, blah. I mean, you really do see the total unity we have on these points, you know, everyone uh, from a covenantal aspect is that's it. You know, it's like when that happens, that's the end. That's the fullness of the plan. There's no other yep. dimension. And that's, that's also the foundation for an amillennial eschatology. Well, it's about it. Yeah, exactly right. So, you know, it's really that eschatology takes front and center and uh, it, it becomes this, this key guide um, throughout the process of, of developing the covenant theology. So I would, you know, I would even probably say like, you know, we're, it, it's almost like well you know at some level it's hard to it's hard to make the statement but just to just to kind of bring it across provocatively if someone is you know a millennial and in their eschatological approach they're seeing how all of these things are being driven by by um by the way that the story unfolds and or we can see how there's eschatology even in the garden and how all of that is is connected there is so much more unity with with that kind of approach than there is with someone who's dispensational and Baptist, you know, um, 
even though we agree there on the baptism side, it's really like, it feels like that agreement is not as profound as I would have personally with, with um, someone who's, who's, um, you know, might disagree on the baptism issue, but sees the richness of this picture and, um, and, uh, and understands the covenantal unfolding and that, that eschatological sort of paradigm that we're working with so obviously you don't want to be too dogmatic about that you know not making any mm -hmm. lines in the sand but i'm just saying that's kind of the force of this whole thing you know and there's so much attention given to the baptism issue when it feels like that kind of pales in comparison to some of the other things uh that i mean i think where, where we are the same as dispensationalists is because dispensationalists await a worldly kingdom for the millennium yeah they view christ's spiritual reign very similarly to the way that we do now and so the nature of the kingdom during this period um, is the same. So less, I think, pr you know, less prone, more prone toward a two kingdom approach and less prone. Yeah. So the yeah, spiritual so, nature of the kingdom as opposed to a theonomistic theocratic yeah, approach. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they've got that. Um, yeah, I think we've said this before, but that Kleinian angle is kind of like the perfect middle ground there in many ways and that it's acknowledging some of the, the dispensationalist concern um, and uh, at the same time embracing their full eschatology. Eschatolo uh, eschatological and covenantal um, unity that the reformed uh, theology has brought um okay so that that's me that's everything i've got to say about this yep sounds good yep i think we uh, have the same so, thoughts yeah awesome so next up we uh we have covenant in the gospels michael kruger is he the canon guy he is the canon guy right? yeah he is yeah so that's gonna be cool principle of uh, rts isn't yeah yeah i think one he is of the RTS. rts's yeah. yeah and um i have read his book on canon um and yeah i read his book on uh, how the second century changed the world or something like that awesome book yeah there we go so that'll be a goodie we'll deal with that next time um keep well Shalom. adios adiosis <laughs> can we go you're not going to meet me with some foreign language there Shalom. Oh, what's the dutch it's so like good morning Good <laughs> that's good morning good and something good evening um yeah i don't know i think we're out we're getting rusty sayonara mm -hmm.